Welcome to Orphan Entertainment, the podcast dedicated to public domain and abandoned media. I'm your host, Christopher, and with me as always is a katonk with the talk. It's Lydia. Konnichiwa! <laughs> Finally, I get to use my Japanese skills in a podcast. I was Hurrah. thinking about that while, we were, while I was watching this film. I was like, oh, this is great. Lydia's going to have a chance to stretch her uh, her Japanese a little bit. For the first time in a decade, I'm here, <laughs> I'm ready. No. <laughs> How are you, Lydia? I'm well. I'm so excited to be here to talk about a really different kind of movie for us. Yeah, And uh, excited to get into that with you. Let's go ahead and get some of the housekeep- housekeeping out of the way. I uh, first want to thank everyone for tuning in. We certainly do appreciate it. Orphan Entertainment is available wherever you listen to podcasts. Please, if you have the option to do so, rate and review the show. It really does help get the show out to more people. And another great way is just by sharing the episode you're listening to on whatever social media platform you use. If you are a Facebook user, there is a group that you can join, and this is a great place to find out what we're going to be covering next, and it's an easy place to leave any comments on the films or episodes. We have a YouTube channel where you can watch many of the films we've covered here. Just go to YouTube.com and search for Orphaned Entertainment. Uh, We get a lot of great comments on the films that we've posted there, and it's always great to see most of the comments on A Matter of Life and Death, the David Niven film. So, Oh, huge surprise there. Hmm. No, yes. Um, If you would like to email us with any comments, suggestions, or feedback on this or any episode, please type or record a message and send it to orphanedentertainment at gmail.com. And also, just recently now, you can buy us a coffee. Follow the link to coffee.com, and you can make a one-time or recurring donation to help support the show. Okay, I I have to ask. Yes. What kind of coffee do you like? Honestly, I don't drink (gasps) coffee coffee oh, anymore so we we should I probably do. switch to it's a tea. tea yeah no kidding <laughs> oh i've become a latte girl and in, in recent history straight latte no sweetener no foam so if you guys want to buy me a coffee now you know what to buy there we go we still got someone <laughs> drinking coffee a coffee and a tea please <laughs> yeah all of these links are on our webpage at orphanentertainment.com or you can follow the link tree link that's in the show notes that'll get you there as well So let's listen to one of the five-minute mysteries and a promo for another podcast. And when we return, we enlist and ship off to fight the good fight as we review 1951's Go for Broke. Another five-minute mystery. men are seated around a green cloth table. There is a tenseness in the room as the chips and cards fall. Well, that cleans me out. Tough luck, Marshal. How much did you lose? Every penny comes to over 10,000. Well, that's the game. Too bad, old man. It's amazing how you kept drawing those cards as if by magic. Uh, Let me see them for a minute, Harris. Hey, hands off. The game's over, Marshal. There's the air raid signal. Let's get out of here. Hand over those cards, Chum. Hey, give me those. Well, I... I must have been blind. Marked cards. 
Why, you dirty shark! Stay away, Marshal, I warn you. Stay away. Give me my dog. Get back. Get back. Give me my... I warned you, sucker. Harris, you're a fool. Take it easy. The guy committed suicide. Couldn't take losing all that dough. Come on. We gotta figure out what kind of a story to feed the cops. Now let me get this story from the beginning. Well, Inspector, we were having this card game and Marshall was losing pretty heavily. When the air raid signals began to sound, I suggested we quit for the night. Yeah? What happened then? Well, he took us to the door. Was he angry? No, that's the funny thing. Well, after we promised him a chance to get even tomorrow night, we left. Uh, where did you go then? Hey, why all this questioning? The guy bumped himself off, you know. Oh, it's the usual thing after poker suicides. Uh, you don't object, I hope. Oh, no. But... Fine. Now, you were just leaving the room. Go on, Harris. Right. We went to the lobby, but the warden outside wouldn't let us leave the house. Yeah, we uh, kidded around with the desk clerk for a while, too, remember? Yeah, yeah, that's right. We drew the blackout curtains in the lobby for him, while he threw the switch dousing the upstairs lights. But when we saw the raid was taking so long, we came up here again. Go on. When we got to Marshall's door and knocked, there was no answer. Well, that got us worried because we knew he was in there. Well, after knocking again, we broke in. And there he was. It wasn't a pretty sight. His head was all bloody and he was slumped over the table. Anything else? No, that's about the whole story, Inspector. Well, gentlemen, it's been an interesting story. But the curtain's down now. I'm holding the two of you on a murder charge. What clue did the two gamblers miss in their act that betrayed them? In just a moment, the inspector will confront them with the evidence. But first... Hi, I'm Mike White. And I'm Rob St. Mary. And we're the hosts of the Projection Booth podcast. If you haven't heard of the Projection Booth, that's okay. But we think it's time that you have. We've been doing this for over three years now. And we think we're doing a pretty good show. Every week we look at a different film and put it in context. We try to bring you interviews with the people behind the films. Or experts on a subject matter covered in the film. We don't specialize in any one particular genre or type of film. We try to examine every aspect of cinema. From every corner of the globe. Even at three years, we barely just scratched the surface. But we're ready. We're ready for you to listen to us. That's right. Now's the time to give us a shot. Download us through our free smartphone app. Or through Stitcher, iTunes, Geek Juice Radio, Jackalope. Or our website. Projection-booth.com. We'll keep making great shows. Now it's your turn to listen to them. And now, back to our story. That's a big thing to say, Inspector. Murder. I'd rather not have an encore, Harris. You forgot one little detail, gentlemen, that left your story wide open. About the blackout. The desk clerk downstairs threw the switch to turn off all these upstairs lights. Yet you told me that when you broke into the room, you saw Marshall's body slumped over the table. Now, your vision in the dark may be good, but not so good as to see blood streaming down your victim's face. Let's go, gentlemen. This time your alibi's been blacked out. <laughs> American war film written and directed by Robert Peroche and produced by Dory Sherry. 
It is a fictionalized telling of the real-life 442nd Regimental Combat Team. The 442 was organized on March 23, 1943, after more than a year in which Americans of Japanese descent had been declared enemy aliens by the U.S. War Department. Eventually, the 442, bolstered by the combat-hardened 100th Infantry Battalion, comprised of Japanese-American draftees from Hawaii, became the most decorated unit in U.S. military history for its size and length of service. Once the 442nd was organized, within a month... 2,686 volunteers from Hawaii and 1,500 from the U.S. mainland were in Camp Shelley, Mississippi for basic training. The 100th Battalion and 442nd in just over one year compiled an astonishing combat record, but equally remarkable cost. About 800 men were killed or declared missing in action. They did, however, win seven distinguished unit citations, including one awarded personally by President Harry Truman who said on July 15, 1946, you fought the enemy abroad and prejudice at home, and you won. In addition, 21 medals of honor were awarded, over 4,000 Purple Hearts, 29 Distinguished, serv- distinguished Service Crosses, 588 Silver Stars, and more than 4,000 Bronze Stars were awarded to the men of the 442nd for action during World War II. The film follows a newly commissioned Lieutenant Grayson, who's assigned to lead a unit composed of Nisei, second-generation Americans born of Japanese descent. Grayson carries a fair amount of bigotry and immediately requests a transfer, not wanting to work with, quote-unquote, the Japs. This is denied bluntly, and Grayson is told that these men are not Japs. They are Japanese-Americans. Checked, double-checked, and checked again. He's to get the 442nd into fighting shape for overseas action. Once done with basic training, the unit is shipped out to Europe. Through the actions by the 442nd in Italy and France, Grayson finds reason to replace his bigotry with respect towards his fellow soldiers. There are six Japanese-American characters that play opposite star Van Johnson, five of whom were portrayed by veterans of the 100th and 442nd. Lane Nakato played Sam, whose family was incarcerated in the United States, inspiring him to enlist and prove his loyalty and try to ensure such a situation would not happen again. Sam's friend Tommy was portrayed by Henry Nakamura, the youngest of the actors and the only one of the six leads not to have served during the war. Interestingly, Nakamura, who was, as you said, the only one not to serve, was only 17 at the time the war ended, so was not eligible to serve. Ah, okay, very good. Uh, George Miki, uh, Ken Akimoto, Akira Fukunaga, Henry Oyasato. Lydia can help me with that one there. Uh, yeah. How am Oyasato. I doing? <laughs> Should I just go through them? No, you're, you're doing a great job. Okay, good. And Harry Hamada. They round out the primary Nisei characters, none of whom had acted before their appearance in Go For Broke. Yeah, I've recently kind of uh, really realized that when it comes to pronouncing Japanese names, most of them are pronounced exactly how they're spelled they are it's phenomenal uh yeah <laughs> there's a moment in the movie too where they're doing roll call as each of the guys is going onto the ship and i love kind of the struggle that the uh, <laughs> i forget they i forget what they call him but the um uh, that the officer who is not of japanese descent is having and he's got uh, i think it's um ohara is there helping him pronounce each of the people's names and Listen, Lieutenant. Thanks, Captain. Nagashuk Shuki. 
William J. Nishigoka. Leonard S. Uchigakiuchi. Uchigakuchi. Harry. Ikigani. Joseph T. Kamakura. Sam W. Oyatomi. Oyatomi. Tomatsu. Ishizaki. Satoshi. Shimabukuro Tenshugi. Shima. Shimabukuro Tenshugi. Shima George W. Thanks. They're American guys. They're all American guys, just with a little bit more difficult to pronounce last name. It just since you mentioned that particular character, the guy trying to read off the names, uh, that was Richard Anderson, uh, Oscar oh, Goldman from uh, the Six Million Dollar Man, etc. <laughs> and you know uh, what? He was the, the communications officer in Forbidden Planet. But yes, that was Richard Anderson. Yeah, a little uncredited. Bit later, we see Mr. Cleaver, Ward Cleaver. Uh, yes, leave it to very Cleaver briefly. Fame. Strangely, <laughs> strangely briefly. enough. He gets a credit in, uh, I think he actually gets a credit in IMDb, but I'm not sure if Richard Anderson does. He's in <laughs> I here. I think he does. Is he? Okay, good. I had a hard time placing his character because, of course, it's not a named character in the movie. Right. Nope. That was him. That was him trying to read off the names. <laughs> I, I'm going to add a link to the show notes that will lead you to a great resource for more information about the 100th and the 442nd, as well as this film itself. Uh, I found this fantastic website, the the Densho Encyclopedia. Densho.org. Really great resource. I can't recommend it enough. I got a lot of information from that, and uh, I'll be going back and actually reading it in a little bit more detail because, I mean, there is just a ton of stuff on that website. And I have two other resources to add to that, goforbroke.org and 442SD, which is the sons and daughters of the 442.org. Both really great resources if you're interested in learning more, which, of course, we could tell you at the end, or we'll just tell you now. You can go look it up when you're done with this podcast. Yeah, there you go. Uh, Some often used words and phrases that you may hear during the discussion and the clips. The 442nd motto, go for broke, is pigeon phrase used in Hawaii, meaning to gamble everything or to, you know, shoot the works. Bakatari loosely translates it to mean very stupid. <laughs> uh, Buddha heads are from Hawaii and the katonks from the mainland. Katonk equals the sound that you hear if you uh, knock a mainlander on the head, which would be similar <laughs> to the sound of doing the same to a coconut. I love I that they. That was funny. Yeah, I love that they explain this in the movie. They give you a little bit of of background. And at first, as I was watching, I just thought, oh, you know, ah, uh, that's funny. They're just adding it for character. But this is actually in the sources. Yes. Uh, that talk about the the actual battalion. So, I love that they included some of those real details in what they they could have really whitewashed this movie. Even more than they did. <laughs> there's a little bit of that we'll probably end up talking about, but I like that there's a lot of focus on, of course, the guys that are the real heroes in this. Just kind of jumping right into it, and on that subject, I, my wife watched this with me, and after we finished watching it, she looked at me and was like, how did a film like this get made mm-hmm. this close to after the war? In 1951. Because in 1951. Uh, the war is a very recent memory. You know, the, the Japanese were the enemies. And a major studio, this was not an independent, this was not a uh, Poverty Row film or anything. This is a major studio, makes a film that really highlights a um, it, the, the servicemen of Japanese Americans that fought in the war and were highly decorated. I hear and I read that they were in the news a lot. At the, the time. A lot. 
I'm kind of embarrassed that until I watched this film, I had never heard of the 500 or the 442nd. Mm-hmm. I didn't know about this at all. Yeah, and it I think it's a great a great in a, in the sense of a very large statement about how our history is taught and what is taught to us in history class that this happened decades before you or I were born. Mm-hmm. And neither of us have ever heard of it and there were uh you know reparations made in the 1980s for the the families of course of these servicemen and we we're never told about it I, frankly you know i don't i don't think that i really i i didn't realize certainly until a decade or two ago that we had containment camps that look horrifyingly similar to the ones in germany and the ones mm-hmm. in poland now granted the people that came out of those camps were in significantly better condition for the most part, but it is unsettling to put it extremely mildly to think that at the same time that we were talking about fighting people that were putting people for genuinely for just for their race into concentration camps were hurting people into containment camps in the U.S. And, yeah, internment camps. They weren't concentration camps. No, no, they were yeah. Camps. Containment yeah. or inter... Yes. And, and there's, there's a lot of history in this. I think we can't get too deep into the history for the purposes of this podcast. We could have an hours-long conversation about this and barely scrape the surface. Um Definitely, I think Christopher and I both strongly encourage you to go look at the history. Interestingly, uh, last year, 2021, in June, there was a commemorative stamp released celebrating the soldiers of the 442nd, I almost said 441st, uh, (laughs) of the 442nd and the 100th Battalion. And I think that's amazing that that has been pushed through and has happened. And I think it needs to happen more. It's kind of... It, 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 like like you said, Christopher, it's embarrassing that we don't. It's embarrassing uh, that we don't know more about this in our country, especially mm-hmm. with the climate of today, where you know. And guys, I'm sorry, we'll, we'll get past this in a minute. I promise. <laughs> I know you're here to hear about movies. We don't want to get too too hairy into politics and things like that. But it's it's sad. I I would love to know more about this type of thing and to see more of this type of thing. I think we have a tendency, especially right now, to focus on the sad, horrible depressing aspects of things but there's so much heroic story to this where people literally volunteered over a thousand men volunteered from containment camps they were there with their families in Mm -hmm. tar paper buildings and when the government said hey we're gonna create a japanese american battalion over a thousand men over 1100 men said i'm gonna go i'm gonna go fight and from that, and that was from the mainland, that's not counting the 10,000 Japanese Americans in Hawaii that all volunteered and just, they couldn't, they just didn't have the space. So ultimately, I think you said 2,500 went and were shipped there, were shipped to um, Mississippi, am I saying mm-hmm. it? Okay, were shipped to Mississippi. But it's just, it, there's so, the story behind this is so much more than this movie gives you, is so much more than can possibly be covered in a single podcast. So if we're just brushing over things and then moving on, don't take that as um, a lightness or, you know, a carelessness that we're not, a, I think that we're not aware of 
how big of a deal this was. It's just, we're in a small format. So please do go look into some of the resources that we're going to post here. Um, enjoy the movie, watch the movie, but then when you're done, go look at the real stories of the actual people that were involved in this. Cause it's a phenomenally heroic story. They, this battalion was only in service. They only were active for two years and they are the most awarded battalion in us history. That's mind blowing. So I, I could gush a little bit longer here, but I think we'll go ahead and start talking a little bit more about the movie. Um, but yeah, I, I really want to encourage people to, to look into this. This is something that should be applauded and talked mm -hmm. about. Yeah, this movie is a great way to kind of dip your toe into it. And then from there, I, that's when it, like, like Lydia said, you know, watch the movie and then go read about the reality. Mm -hmm. um, but this, yeah, this is a, a fantastic entry level way to learn a little bit about American history that you likely didn't know mm -hmm. prior. Unless you are of Japanese descent. And right. obviously yeah, exactly. then you're going, True. yeah, duh, <laughs> most likely. But yeah, this is so I, the story starts off really interestingly. You're going to laugh, Christopher, but you know me pretty well. I dug through photos, <laughs> contemporary photos, looking so hard to see if I could find... Um, a European descent man among the troops of this battalion in the photos that I couldn't. <laughs> and so I don't know. I wasn't able to find any information on whether the character of Lieutenant Grayson was based on a real person or not. I believe so. From what I have read, uh, most of the high ranking officers were white. And they mentioned that in the movie. Yes. As far as Grayson himself whether there was a real Grayson, I don't know. Yeah, that certainly, I do not know. Yeah, certainly he is brought into the movie. I think Eddie Izzard is the one that says that um, this actor is put in this movie so that it'll sell better in America. <laughs> and, and Van Johnson is that character in this movie. He's the one that's going to appeal to, you know, the, sorry, the European centric people right. in the audience. If, I don't know, Christopher, if you noticed the posters for this movie where he's featured very prominently. Oh, no, often absolutely. Often with a beautiful brunette in his arms. Well, yes. Which is completely misleading. This is not a movie that's a romance at all. No, no, not at all. But yes, you you are correct. He is the the white face. He is the uh, American name that you can put on the poster that's going to get people into the seats. Even though the true stars of this film are all the Japanese actors. Yes. And the story itself. I read and I wanted to mention this that I read that a lot of uh critics of the time and historians since then, it's kind of split about whether this film helped, hurt, or was indifferent for the uh, the actions of, of the men and, and race relations and stuff. Because, yes, it tells the story about these, these brave men that went on and fought this war and everything, but it does so, and they, they commented about the sort of, you know, um, the stereotypical, oh, you know, they're all this short and the, the clipped English mm -hmm. and all that stuff. So it's like, well, did they help? Mm -hmm. somewhat but then they didn't help because of this so they really felt like it was almost it's a little bit of a wash <laughs> mm -hmm. i'm gonna i'm gonna argue in favor of this movie in that case i think yeah there's certainly 
what they call pidgin English, and pidgin English is the term for it. Um, I probably now somebody has assigned a derogatory meaning to that, but at the time it certainly wasn't intended. Well, I don't think it was intended derogatorily, even if it was used that way. But it's you know a mix of different languages, and there was there's not really a different word for it. Um, but there are you know the characters like Tommy that speak mm-hmm. that way. But then you've got you know Chick who is obviously American born American raised and he speaks absolutely you wouldn't be able to differentiate him on a phone call from absolutely anybody else in the United States really appreciate that there is a they they make that distinction and there's a lot of history here um, where there's just so much history that I'd love to cover in this, talking about the difference between – I've just completely lost my vocabulary. <laughs> the difference between what, – what is it that they called the um, Hawaiian – The Buddha heads? The Buddha heads, thank you. There's a uh, history between the Buddha heads and uh, the Katonka. The Katonks. Katonka. <laughs> Thank you. I, I kept thinking Katonka myself. A little bit like, of, no, that's something I, different. I, I had a little bit of yep. dances with wolves ran in there. Uh, but uh, the difference between the Buddhaheads and the Katonks, in, in, there was real yes. friction between them originally. And one of the reasons that we recommend that you go read on these sites is because it explains why there was so much friction between them and why it looked like the 442 would not make it off of American soil. And it just simply had to do with the way that in Hawaii, when Pearl Harbor happened, Hawaii was almost 40% Japanese descent. And so the people that lived there pulled together and supported the military there and, and went and did manual labor and supported each other and donated blood. And so at the time when mainland U, the mainland U.S. was a shuffling a whole bunch of Japanese descent people into containment camps, Hawaii not only couldn't do it for practical reasons, but saw how the Japanese Hawaiians had had pulled together for everybody. They, it's it was their home. They just did what any of us would do in that situation and took care of their neighbors, took care of the people around them. And so when they came together in this unit, one group of these people had been treated with relative respect, not not true respect by any stretch of imagination. They weren't shipped off to camps. Yes, the, their property wasn't see they weren't removed from their homes. And the uh, and originally though that wasn't clear between the two groups. They didn't even understand between each other the difference until a group of them and this is not covered at all in the movie, but a group of the Buddha heads were taken to a, a nearby camp and saw how the families of the Tatonks were the Tatonks, the Katonks were living. And it, it the the resources I read said that immediately that bound them together. And it went from being fistfights and arguments in camp to they were one group of people. And just it's just horrible and inspiring mm-hmm. at the same time. Uh, so so I I feel like they did a really good job of showing that as much as they as much it, I'm I give a little leeway to 1951 America that we you know we tend to think that we're more enlightened than our predecessors whether or not that's true I give them a little leeway because this movie for its time showed a lot of variation 
in the the group of ethnic the ethnic group of people that it was trying to portray it showed people that had different speech patterns it showed people that had different feelings about where they should be going who they should be fighting and showed people that even within their own you know ethnic group had felt very differently about one another so even though yes this is a movie that uses a very white face predominantly for a lot of the story for its time. I feel like it did a, a not by any, not the best possible job it could have done maybe, but a fair job, very progressive. And I think that that is entirely owed to the actions of the actual men in this battalion and to the, the headlines on the Washington post and to the presidential awards mm-hmm. and citations and it, 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 the fact that this movie is what it is at all is and it's again not perfect but that is a hundred percent testimony to if, if the movie is this decent and decent's the right word for it what actually happened has to have been absolutely remarkable at this time with the with Pearl Harbor having happened so recently for a movie to be made about Japanese Americans in this time has to, it, it can only be owed to the incredible actions of the men that this movie's about. There's no other way that this is possible. In short, I think I gave a lot of um, leeway to the film and I kind of dismissed some of the complaints about the, the language and such is because these were real men and these were the real veterans. It's like, well, this likely was how they spoke. You know, this wasn't, Mm -hmm. they didn't say, yeah, I know you haven't acted before and everything. And yes, your English is fine, but how we want you to talk is, I, I don't think that happened. I hope that didn't happen. Oh, that's an interesting thought. And to be real honest, I didn't even think about that. That's, um, that's an interesting thought because like, of course, so the only two actors that the only two main characters and I'm obviously referring to in the battalion, we're going to just, you know, kind of push off the, the, oh, sorry, for lack of a better phrase, the white faces in this for a little while. Um, but the only two actors that continued on to do more acting were Henry Nakamura and Lane Nakano, who played Sam in this movie. And the backstories for each of these characters is I feel like really fits the personality of the character that's in there. So Tommy, who is, um, you know, the most blatantly uses the most blatant uh, pigeon English of everybody is his story is that he's from Hawaii. I tell you something. I don't like to talk about it, but I'm going to tell you. Pearl Harbor did a place to come. You can only read it. I can see it. Pretty soon I go volunteer for the 100 Battalion. Too young. And by the 442 come up, I volunteer again. Too small. Next time I stand on my toes a little bit. Okay, I'm in. They send us Europe. Sure, I go and fight. No better do I fight the ones who bombed the island. It's the same enemy, Tommy. Maybe for you. Pearl Harbor Day. Two people visit friends near Honolulu. They've both been killed. 
My mother, Sam. My father. Malcolm! Mail call, Tommy. You go. No mail for Tommy. He grew up there. His parents were there. You know, he's a first-generation American. Well, first native-born generation American. And grew, would have grown up in an, in an environment where other languages were predominantly spoken. I, I know, guys, I dig into these things probably way further <laughs> Than, I, than other people would. But I, I like that there are other ones in here, that there are other characters where, you know, the one guy that grew up, you know, what he knows is sexing chickens. He knows how to sex a chicken. And you got to watch the movie. I'm not going to even explain <laughs> that if you don't know what I'm talking about. But what he knows how to do is sex chickens. And so, you know, he's from the Midwest. That's how he talks. His attitude towards higher educated people is a little bit derogatory. And then you've got the guy from California that's really well educated but can't get a job. And I feel like they – I don't know whether they were cast because they fit the role or whether they adopted their behaviors to the role. But they feel very real to their backstories to me. And I appreciate the depth of backstory they gave so many of these characters. In a lot of war movies, you know, we watched Santa Fe Trail and there were the two main guys. And then everybody else in the movie just kind of didn't really have a backstory. They were just there for comic relief or for, you know, extra gusto or whatever. The characters in this movie, the, the individuals in this movie really have backstories. And I... Again, I think that you couldn't without have without a large number of people having real respect for what the 442nd did. Um, I don't think that the, this amount of effort would have been put into it in 1951. You mentioned the character Tommy. I think his character certainly had the most most depth um, given to him. He was the one that he lost mm-hmm. both his parents during Pearl Harbor. Mm-hmm. Uh, he had nobody, you know, mail call for him was a depressing event. Everyone else is excited. Yeah. They're getting their letters. They're getting their packages. They're getting their cookies from home. He's got nothing. Yeah. He has no family. Yeah. He lives his life vicariously by through Sam's letters and what's going on with yeah. Sam's girlfriend uh, who's who's teaching class yeah. <laughs> in one of the internment camps. Yeah. And he, he sits and reads the letters and then or, or has the letters read to him by Sam. He's a fantastic character. And then, of course, mm-hmm. through the film, his, he has two true friends, Sam and a pig. <laughs> he adopts that, he adopts <laughs> oh that pig, God. which he, he drags with uh, him all through Italy. <laughs> yeah, and France, France. Most of France. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic character. I loved watching him. And, and he's, you know, and the fact that these guys weren't actors, I mean, you said that he was the uh, the youngest, and you know he was only what seventeen years old. You said you know when the when the war ended, mm-hmm, he was only seventeen at the end of the war. Mm-hmm. But they still brought him in and and had him. And no, the acting isn't great on a lot of these guys because they weren't actors. In a way, it's kind of like that's okay because it makes it feel a little bit more grounded. I think the first watch through, I felt. I like there were a couple of moments early on in the movie, especially where I was like, oh, that felt a little forced. But as you get into the story, you 
stop noticing things being forced. The only one I really felt like was a little forced on Tommy, certainly the one I noticed that the most was when we find out about his parents and he does the, the hand, his head in his hands and starts crying. And it's like, mm. yeah, that feels like you're acting. <laughs> you know, that did feel real I, natural. I, I was, there are a couple of moments where they are risk. Oh, I think maybe it was originally when Grayson was being introduced and there, you know, okay. It's, you know, he releans down to shine mm-hmm. his shoes and the guy comes back and says, okay, he's ready for you now, you know, and they're just, but, but it's not, certainly not at the level of some of the major groaners that we've seen in the past. There's so much of this movie that really just is crawling through mud and, you know, marching through fields. This is a war movie. It's a, it is a war movie. You know, you've got your occasional planning sessions in between, but you know, it's, it's telling the story of how these guys, you know, ultimately overcame how some of them ultimately overcame incredible odds against them. And so I think it would, it would be a little bit of a disservice to, to not mention that there's, you know, some acting hiccups, but it would be more of a disservice to just get hung up on those (laughs) and say, because genuinely I, part of, part of where we usually see poor acting is where, you have a a person that's supposed to be portraying a very, uh, I can't even think of like a polite way to say it, but like a, a very Chinese person or a very Japanese person. And they're overacting to the point that it feels really disingenuous. Peter Sellers. Yeah. Yes. Thank you. Good example. Um, but in this case, it's almost, I almost read it more as, there would have been communication difficulties or there would have been, you know, language hiccups because mm-hmm. when genuinely, I love the point where O'Hara says, um, he says, what, what does uh, Bakatai mean? And he says, oh, I don't know. I don't speak Japanese. <laughs> 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 and I don't know if he does or not, but I just love, he's like, I don't know, sir. I don't speak Japanese. <laughs> you know, And it's like, I, I just love, which would be, you know, what a, probably what a good <laughs> what a good supply officer would say <laughs> rather than tell you know <laughs> but whether or not he knows i i it is there is the actual fact that a lot of these guys wouldn't have spoken any japanese mm-hmm. and it, and pigeon english would have been as offensive to them as it would be to you know any run of the mill racist white guy oh my god <laughs> this is the most uncomfortable conversation <laughs> there's just no there's just no comfortable way to talk about people being treated badly because of their race there's no, just no, no unfortunately not if you're comfortable talking about this then uh let's seek yeah. help yeah, yeah no. seek help <laughs> seek help <laughs> <laughs> or you're a therapist and God bless you for helping people. <laughs> Probably not comfortable though. Yeah. Considering the subject matter of the film, they do manage to work in some nice humorous moments. Mm-hmm. And I like the fact that a lot of the humorous moments aren't at the expense of our Hawaiian or Japanese characters. Yes. It's just funny moments. Mm-hmm. Um, if they're aimed at anybody, they tend to be aimed at uh, Van Johnson's uh, Lieutenant Grayson. Yeah, yeah. 
uh, like you were saying, the, the what does that mean? You know, though I don't speak Japanese, or <laughs> yeah. or the uh, when he's like all excited, he's not happy about where he's been assigned. He wants mm-hmm. to go back and to his all Texas regiment and everything, and and it, the commanding officer tells him, uh, "Go meet your supply officer, O'Hara." O'Hara thinking, <laughs> thinking Irish, you know, yep. or something, or, <laughs> it's or whatever. He's like Takashi O'Hara. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So I I got it. You know, Van Johnson was a was pretty well known for war movies at this point. Yes, uh, he kind of came in in at that time period and was, um, you know, later on went to do Brigadoon and and things like that. But at this time, he was a well known face in war movies, and I think they probably asked they probably selected him for this role because he could he had a little bit of grace in you know with with people where he could be the character that is uh frankly a bit of a racist and then mm-hmm. could overcome that and um in yeah there's a little bit of whitewashing just by focus making him the main focus of a lot of the parts of the story yes but i will say when i started watching this film when i realized what it was about I was really expecting this film to be a white savior movie. Mm-hmm. You know, that, oh, thank God we have this white guy to save us. Yes. And I was so happy to see that that was not the case. 100% agree. Well, and, and genuinely, if they had made it into that, it wouldn't have been true to the story. And at this point, five, five six years after the war has ended, everybody knows the story. Like, it's been in the newspapers. It's not like they can come back. Yeah, they could come back and retroactively rewrite it. Gosh, we've never done that before in our yeah. society. But they, they could have done that, and I appreciate that they didn't. I am right there with you. It's just it's just amazing to me. <laughs> just It just is amazing to me. Like, the, stor- the story of this is so... It, the the only word I can think of is heroic, and I'm sorry for you know being repetitive, but it's it's amazing. There, you know, I love. I forget which which character it is, if it's Sam or if it's Frank, that says you know that that his girlfriend is in the camp. Uh, That'd be Sam. The I Sam. Think. Okay, it is Sam's girlfriend, mm-hmm. and um and I and I I like that when he's talking to Tommy about it, he says well, we got to do something so this doesn't happen again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was his whole point. That was, that's why he enlisted. Yeah. And you, you have to think that for whatever, whether they meant so that we're not attacked from overseas again, or whether they meant so that my family's not put in a camp again, or whether they meant so that, you know, we can carry on with our normal lives. All that, the above, I think. Yeah, that that has to have been on the minds of so many of the men that volunteered because this was entirely a volunteer regiment, you know, that it, and and initially the army after Pearl Harbor for, I think it was a full year would not allow anybody of Japanese descent to join the military. And, and men who had been in the army, in the military were discharged and were not allowed, were not allowed to just come back in. They had been serving and were removed from their positions, which is just, so to against all of that to come in because hey we've got to do something so that this all doesn't happen again is is a heroic attitude. Yeah, I don't know where I want to go next and it's that kind of movie. It's the the subject matter alone is just enough that you just want to say hey, okay, that's the end of the podcast, go watch this movie. 
it's, it's, it's pretty hard not to just kind of gush. <laughs> yeah. I remember another part of the film that I really liked was its sort of um, commentary on how army recruitment and the uh, sort of propaganda that it spews to encourage people <laughs> to enlist. Yes. Uh Grayson finds the, the the little book, the little guide to Italy. You know, they're <laughs> they've shipped out. They don't know where they're going. They're not being told where they're headed. And he bumps into somebody and he drops this little pamphlet and he picks up this book and it's this, you know, guide to Italy, you know, issued by the army. Mm-hmm. And he starts reading through. For 20 years, the Italian people have been fed on bunk. Their propagandists declared that all of our people look upon Italians with contempt, regarding them as a race of hand organ men and banana peddlers. We know that such statements are lies. Racial prejudice is abhorrent to our American concept of democracy. Majestic Vesuvius, the castle of St. Elmo, the famous churches, the magnificent harbor, second to none in all the world. These and many other historic sites are of interest to the soldier. Take advantage of this opportunity. See as much as you can. You've got a great chance to do now. Major expenses paid, what will cost you a lot of your own money after the war. You'll want to poke around in quaint, out-of-the-way places. And the only way to do that is to walk. Be sure to allow plenty of time in Naples so you can take it all in at a nice, leisurely pace. Start your promenade at the harbor. The Italian practice is to have a siesta hour sometime between 1 and 4 o'clock in the afternoon. If this custom remains in vogue during occupational period, you will save time and patience by confining your shopping to other hours. While he's reading it, they're cutting to what's really there, and it's... Uh, burned out hulks, uh, sunk ships, uh, destroyed buildings, bombs, yeah, uh, and uh, them all packed into train cars as they're going along because that that's the only way to get anywhere because the roads are garbage and there's no transportation. And meanwhile, he's reading in this book about how wonderful the transportation is and how friendly everyone is and how <laughs> yeah. beautiful this town is and yeah, and you'll have plenty of free time to blah blah. Yeah, it's. Oh, and they're I, dodging bullets, literally dodging yes, bullets exactly. on the screen. I I like that. I mean, there was this is a message film. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, these guys didn't go overseas and get a vacation. Their right. breakfast in bed was rations tossed at their tossed into their tent in the morning, and it's just you know army rations that even the pig wouldn't <laughs> even eat. the pig wouldn't touch. <laughs> yeah, and uh, no, it's definitely a message movie, but. Um, for its time, it's it, for its time. It's a remarkable movie. Not to say, oh well, you know what? The best movie was made about this, so we can all just move on with life and forget about it. Um, I think it's a movie worth visiting because I don't know of another movie about it. We found a documentary um, by the same name called Gro- "Go for Broke" that is narrated by George, George Takei. And talks about some of the survivors and some of... Unfortunately, this movie doesn't really cover the awards that were given to this um, battalion. I'm really happy that you talked about that at the beginning. It's in to think about the thousands 
of awards, of medals. Thousands. There, there were only, I believe, a total of 18,000 men in this entire um, battalion. And that was everybody from start to end. Mm-hmm. And for there to have been so many thousands of awards. And I know this was a time in history where there was a lot of, a lot of heroic action, but for such a, it's, it's just, I can't stop repeating. It's just such a remarkable story. It's just such a remarkable history that it is a tragedy that we're not being taught about this. I will look up that documentary. I didn't know about that. I will definitely look that up because I will, I, I want to watch it. I want to learn more. I want to learn more. Mm-hmm. Um, I, as I said, I have the links here that I'm going to be sharing. And I, I read just briefly going through just to get some of the facts and some of the awards and, you know, things like that. But there's so much information there. But it, it's I'm going to be scouring these websites to read mm-hmm. more because, like I said, it's just I didn't know about it. Yeah, before. exactly. So it's worth it's worth mentioning probably also. Uh, that there is still an existing Jap- Japanese internment camp. Obviously, most of the buildings have been have uh, have gone away at this point. They've been torn down. But if you're near Cody, Wyoming, there is an existing camp still there. You can go and see what it was like for the people that lived there. Uh, of course, they've expanded, and there's a museum there and that kind of thing. I imagine cleaned up a bit. But right. The, yes, and it's, so, an inter- it, it, it's an internment camp with a gift shop now, it, I'm it, it does say, though, on the website that it's a tasteful gift shop, It actually, mm. which actually made me chuckle a little bit, a tasteful gift shop. But, um, but, I, but it does seem to really be focused on showing the artifacts of the actual people that were there and, and the stories. And then, as you mentioned, Densho.org is focused hugely on the story of Japanese immigrants from uh, – 1900 uh, is it 1800 or 1900 up through reparations in the eight and 1980s so there's a lot of really good resources out there um and, and any other resources that you guys find that you think would be interesting i'd love for you to share i'd love to know anything else that we haven't run across already that can add to the story and help keep it you know keep spreading it and keep it alive would be very appreciated please do share those with us I feel like we've talked more about the history than we've talked about the film. It's one of those weird things where when you watch a movie based on a true story, I think that you can't help but to do that. You can't help but to compare the movie with the the reality, uh, the actions of it. The, the number of men f- that were killed and injured from this battalion is staggering. Mm-hmm. It's truly, truly staggering. The record of their engagements over a two-year period is, I believe, I could be mistaken, but I believe it's unmatched. I think they were in, were in more, act, they saw more actions than any other group during that period of time. And the result of that is not only did they save what they called the Lost Battalion, what happens at the end of the story is actually true it does actually mm-hmm. end accurately at least accurately to film but you know the number of injured and and killed men was an enormous proportion just staggering so it's hard not to talk about the history when you're going into a movie that is based on a true story um 
you know, and, and unfortunately, for better or for worse, we tend to then judge the movie against the real history instead of judging it against other movies. Um, it's just it's just a pitfall of watching a based on a true story movie, I think. Well, and I've touched on a little bit as far as comparing it to other movies. Other movies of the time, I think, are a little bit more glorified as far as you know, the men going off to war and mm-hmm. they, you know, they have these wonderful adventures and they eat at the, eat at the cafe and everything before <laughs> they, before they go off onto the, on their march and mm-hmm. that sort of thing. And they, they break into song and dance <laughs> in, in many <laughs> films of this lot. time. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, in many films of this time, it did happen yeah. quite a lot. Yep. Uh, so to have, see this film, which I think it feels ahead of its time, trying to tell a true story uh having a message about you know war isn't great war in europe wasn't a vacation uh people get killed our our characters who we've grown to love some of them don't make it out alive mm-hmm. you know spoilers sorry but <laughs> it is war it is war if you're surprised um, by that you don't have a realistic view of war <laughs> yes um uh, decisions have to be made at times and i mean Yes, I, I just feel like this movie was just so ahead of its time in that. Mm-hmm. And and again, I, I just keep coming back to, I don't think this movie was ahead of its time because there was one enlightened dude that was like, you know what would be a cool movie to make? We should make a movie about how cool Japanese people were during World War II. I think this movie was forced because of the amount of recognition that this that this group of men received. Maybe. I was uh, reading that Robert Peroche, apparently, uh, he set out, and I got this from um, Densho, he said he set out to start uh, to research and write a love story about a young Japanese-American university student, but the more he learned, the more he focused on the story of the 100th and 442nd, and he ultimately decided to create a film that would accurately show the negative aspects of the incarceration, but for the overall positive, positive affirmation of the brave service of Nisei soldiers. Mm-hmm. And his partner on the project was producer uh, Dori Shari, the son of Jewish immigrants, who was known for racial tolerance and the use of minority actors and left-leaning tendencies in films. Wow. Ultimately, the two, Sherry, who was head of MGM Studios at the time of the release, uh, they produced a very well-received film that transformed the portrayal of Japanese-Americans in Hollywood. It's kind of a, it was kind of a perfect storm of... I believe so, yes. Of, and it, I think it would have been possible for the War Department to bury the activities of this battalion. Um They really could have. You know, strangely enough, I wonder why it was even publicized as much as it was. I think they were looking for good news. When Mm. I was reading, I I saw a lot of this battalion was probably created because we weren't sure we were going to win. America Mm. was not sure they were going to win the war. In, In 1944, it was hit and miss. There was a real possibility that things could have gone sideways. And... I completely blanked on the question you asked. <laughs> I, I was wondering why they even told this story, why it was Ooh. in the news. And I, 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 that could be it. Maybe it was just, we need good news. And this seems to be the best news. So they, they were of kind it. of forced, forced to tell this story in the news. I think that's part of it. But I think the other part of it was the 141st. 
Because the 141st, which was nicknamed the Lost Battalion, is who the 441st, 442nd made that final drive to go and rescue. And I think that, th- that to have a, that kind of news where there's an entire battalion that's pinned down and we don't know if we can get them out. And then to then have them rescued by our good old American boys, even if those good old American boys aren't Van Johnson, you know, I think that that kind of, that kind of news was exactly what was needed to keep people buying war bonds and keep people Mm -hmm. invested in making sure that we were winning the war. And I, it's, it's possible that there was somebody that, you know, was like, oh, what we're doing to the Japanese Americans is wrong and we need to really push how great these guys are. But I kind of don't think that's the case. I think what what the news typically tends to print is what they think will make the government's decision popular. I'm getting really political. I'm so sorry, guys. <laughs> but I think when when we need good news coming out of a war, they'll print any good news they can find. And I think that just the quantity of remarkable actions by this group of men, it, it, it just was a perfect storm. And so when he was looking for a story to, to write, to tell about a Japanese American, and he ran across this more and more information about this group of guys, it almost, it, you know, I, I love that he was like, well, I wanted to do something else, but this is so amazing that I have to tell this story. Mm-hmm. And that, I think that's why I keep coming back saying this, this movie wouldn't have gotten made if these men hadn't been so remarkable, if this group of men hadn't done such remarkable things. Just again, reading from the the, the show, I, I feel like I'm just kind of reading the whole website here. The uh, the exploits of the 100th Infantry and the 442nd was well known because of uh, media reports documenting their service in Europe. And similarly, the Japanese-American incarceration was no secret. Uh, but these two events were largely ignored due to a number of circumstances, according to this website, not the least of which was lingering racism against the Japanese-American community. And that continued after the war ended. Exactly, yeah. They, they said that uh, Go for Broke is one glaring exception to this silence in the decades that followed the war. Mm-hmm. So, yes, the U.S. did what it did to the Japanese-Americans on the West Coast and you know, abroad. Mm-hmm put him in the incarceration camps. Then they finally allowed them back into the military. And we had this, you know, the 442nd and the 100th infantry. And they were, they acted like they were proud of them. And they, you know, the media, they were media darlings and everything. And we were, we were winning the war and everything. But then as soon as the war was over, we don't talk about that anymore. Mm. We don't talk about the Japanese incarceration. Uh, we don't talk about that. Let's let's talk about all our brave white <laughs> soldiers coming back from the war who mm-hmm. won us the war. Let's let's put those. Let's let's just focus on those. Yeah, there's a there's a quote. I'm gonna have to find it so I can quote it correctly. Uh, there's a quote from the president at the time, and I want to read this. <laughs> Is it the quote that starts the film by chance? No, okay. it's not. It's actually the quote that ends the film. So there's a quote by that was given at the Presidential Unit Citation Review. And it says, quote, The fortitude and intrepidity displayed by the officers and the men of the 100th Infantry Battalion reflects the finest traditions of the Army of the United States. And I read, that's the end of this this quote. That's the last part of this quote. And it 
made me go, ugh. Because <laughs> I feel like, actually, it's not reflecting the finest traditions of the Army of the United States. Uh, the, the finest traditions of the Army of the United States is to kick everybody out because they're of Japanese descent. <laughs> so <laughs> I thought, gosh, what a way to um, adopt somebody else's actions as it what a way to take credit for somebody else's actions it, rather than saying in the face of adversity both at home and, and and they do say in the face of adversity at home and at war you know these men overcame but but the end the at the citation review which is when the awards were being presented to this group they were saying oh look you did such a good job displaying what the army taught you Right. And it's like, this is not because of what the army taught these guys. Right. This is something else entirely. Yeah. I wonder if, you know, the amount of engagements that they had and the, the, the go for broke attitude and everything was a feeling of needing to prove themselves, mm -hmm. um, needing to uh, make an example or feeling like they, they needed to do. And, you know, this is something, unfortunately, that we still see today is that disenfranchised uh, minority or um, what's the other word for it? Um, marginalized mm -hmm. people feel they need to do that much more. Overperform. Overperform in order mm -hmm. to be accepted. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. It's still a problem. Absolutely still a problem for many groups. And fair To be fair, probably still a problem for any person who's being marginalized, who feels yes. that they're being marginalized. But in this case, it was very specifically targeted, you know, for, for obvious reasons at the time. And but, very unfortunately, oh, over, <laughs> over having to overperform cost many their lives. Yeah, many, many of them. Um, yeah, there, yeah, there's so much, again, there's just so much history to this. And so it's, it's a weird, it's a bizarre era in American history because... It's one we tend to point out and go, look, we won. But then we don't get all of the side stories. We don't get all of these details. And when you start digging into them, it's kind of leaves you feeling a little greasy. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> so, well, but, and you, you've mentioned the word, the term whitewashing. And, and that's exactly what's, what, what happened is, you know, these men won lots of significant victories. Significant. And... That was, instead of being um, credited to someone else, just not mentioned anymore. Mm -hmm. I, and I think that's, that's, I don't know, it's, I'm not going to say it's worse, but it's it's definitely not better. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, and it, it's weird. I mean, we, we I don't think that our culture is enlightened enough to be able to handle this subject maturely. <laughs> I mean, we all like to think we are, but... But truthfully, you know, while we're making, while we're making distinctions, we're, we're creating inequality. And so until we're able to talk about each other as if there is no distinction, we're always going to, we're, we're just not at that point. So the best thing we can, I think the, the best we can do is to educate ourselves to know, hey, this is what happened. And to continue to support the people, the families of the people that did these incredible acts and to keep repeating the story, keep making sure that it doesn't get forgotten again, which, mm -hmm. you know, is part of what this podcast is about, is bringing things back that have been forgotten. Certainly, we're not, <laughs> we're not claiming heroics for reviewing this movie. I think when we came across it, 
I said, oh, that sounds really interesting. And I wonder, I think though my exact words were, I wonder if it's true when we read the description of this movie. And, and I honestly, I was watching the movie and I still didn't know. It wasn't until I started doing a little research. Kind of Honestly, kind of during the movie, I had, couldn't help but like do with a quick Google kind of thing. I went, mm-hmm. holy crap. Yeah. <laughs> this is yeah like how legit. did I not know this, right? <laughs> yeah. There's so many things that just keep coming up in this podcast that I go, how did I not know this? Yeah. Oh my goodness. Um, this so- movie is actually a great example of why I wanted to do a podcast like this. Mm-hmm. I mean, not only just giving light to films that had been sort of abandoned or forgotten, that is why, I guess. But <laughs> the fact that a movie like this, that is such a significant movie, mm-hmm. that has been largely forgotten, at least in my circles, I don't know. Is this a is this a well known film that I don't know about? Right. I don't know. I feel like it's not. Mm-hmm. And I and it is genuinely sad that e- even if the film is not still highly popular, it's incredibly sad that this history is not being perpetuated and is not being taught to people like it's it's incredible we we we're embarrassed by it so we don't want to talk about it but there's more than i I don't want to say more than there are things to be embarrassed about but but along with that there's so the stories in here are of people overcoming really bad situations and we need stories like that right now we need stories that tell us that these people did something that it, it may have cost them more than they had hoped, but they did it anyway. And ultimately, they contributed so much more than they would have contributed if they had, you know, stayed at home with their families where they had every right to be. But they took action instead and, and, and made a, such a huge difference, an enormous difference an enormous difference to the people that they rescued, an enormous difference to the people that they, in Dachau, they they liberated people from concentration camps. There are, oh, there are stories in this that are just mind-blowing. And I think we need those kinds of stories right now, especially. I don't know. Do we want to talk anything more about the film? Um, is there anything else that you wanted to mention? Any Like you were saying, we can't talk about the film without bringing up the real-life <laughs> history. history. I think... I think the thing I want to do is I want to go ahead and rate it. Yeah. Because I don't mm-hmm. think there's any shock that for me it's going to be five locals. Yeah. If you're going to watch a war movie, if you're if you're going to watch any war movie, I think this is this should be one of the ones that you're watching. If if you're if you can sit there and watch Braveheart or if you can sit there and watch Apocalypse Now, you this is another movie that you should be watching. This is a movie about about one of the worst times in human history and people that made unbelievable contributions despite everything else going on to them. That's worth watching. If this film were about just any old uh, army battalion oh, yeah. going off and doing some heroic deed or something like that, I might be willing to give it a four. Yeah. You know, just yeah, because yeah. it's like oh, it's decent. It's an all right. You know, it's just a war picture. It's whatever. Funny. It's got its. Moments. It's got some humor. You know, and... got some touching, sad moments. Yeah. Right. Exactly. But because it's based on this true story, because it's a bit of American history that has largely been forgotten and even worse ignored. Yeah. 
Um, it's absolutely a five. I can't recommend this film enough. I, this should be required viewing. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you should have to watch it in history class. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and it, and it, it's, it, what's really sad about this is this is one of those stories that there are a lot of, there are a lot of stories in history. I uh, personally, I'm going to anger somebody, get ready to be mad. Somebody's going to be irritated by this. I think Custer was a total dope. <laughs> but we we all learn about him. We all mm-hmm. learned about Custer. We all learned about Custer's last stand. Yes. You know, the guy that killed a bunch of natives and then gets killed by the natives. Yeah. But and it's an important part of American history. But it's it's this is no less important. And this touches a lot of people that are still alive today. Mm-hmm. And so it this this story matters. This movie by itself is an entertaining movie, but the story that this movie tells is is worth continuing to to present to people, worth continuing to watch, and worth continuing to share. I don't think I have anything else to say unless we'll, we'll just keep going and keep gushing and keep um, talking <laughs> Now about... you know how I feel about David Niven, but <laughs> this is the David Niven of movies. <laughs> this, this is the da- David Niven of historical dramas. Oh my, I'm so sorry to, to phrase it that way. <laughs> I, Lydia and I have both agreed, just go out and watch this film. It's easy to find since it is public domain. It is on YouTube. It is on our YouTube channel. You can find it on Amazon Prime. You can find it lots of different places. Apparently it has been released on DVD and Blu-ray, but not like well. I mean, this deserves to be, this needs like a Criterion release or something with commentary and special features and <sighs> interviews and, you know, that sort of thing. Yeah, be still my beating heart. That would be phenomenal. If, yes. you, if anybody listening to this knows a guy, Pull that string, please. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. All right, well, that, I think, will do it. Go out and watch Go For Broke from 1951. Uh, come back and let us know what you think of this film. I Tell us if we're crazy, if you knew about the 442nd, and you think, that, oh, how, how did you not know about this? Mm-hmm. But <laughs> tell us that we're wrong. Yes. <laughs> I, I'd love to think that we're in the minority, but oh, that'd be I, great. <laughs> How did you not learn this? You know, and, I, and it, it, it's entirely possible if you went to school in, in Hawaii, maybe you did. And if you did, if you got this piece of history because you went to school where, you know, a huge number of these men came from, please tell us. I'd love to know that. That would make me Oh, we got to talk to Barry. We could ask Barry, Barry grew up in Hawaii. We'll, we'll find out. He went to school in Hawaii. We'll find out should how much he knows about it. Should have called him for the movie. It. Dang it. Oh, we really should have. I Believe me, if I had any idea yeah. the significance of this film, Ugh. we would have scheduled it and figured out a way to get Barry. Well, back that's on it. This. We're going to push this back. You guys aren't going to hear this. We're going to get <laughs> Barry on the line. <laughs> Re-record. Well, maybe we can get him to, to, if he knows something about it or he has anything to really say about it, we'll get him to record something for us and we'll, <laughs> we'll play it on, the, on a future episode. But that is going to do it for this episode of North Entertainment. Thanks, you, everyone, for listening and like, listening to Lydia and I kind of babble a little <laughs> bit more on this one than we usually do. <laughs> really appreciate it. But, uh, yeah, uh, I think after you watch this film, you'll you'll understand. And if you follow the links and read a little bit more about the history, you will understand. Mm-hmm. Thanks very much for listening. We will talk to you next month. Bye, everyone. Bye.